Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the Kings Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. I'm Will Griffith, and with me today and every day on this podcast are my two companions and the real brains of this operation. First up, longtime King, Kings writer, currently writing for the Kings Herald, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? It's going all right. I'm exhausted. It's been a long 72 or so hours, but we have a lot to talk about, so I'm excited to get started. Now saving the best for last and the real reason you've all tuned in today, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach and color analyst, a general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how does it feel to be the number one podcaster in Antigua today? Well, I didn't know I was, so I, I, there's no downsides to that for sure. And it's, uh, you know, obviously great to be with you guys again. Had a blast last, uh, last time and uh, certainly got a lot of very positive things to talk about, I think. We are, according to some email that we got from some stats research thing, the number one sports podcast in Antigua. So you should be proud of yourself. After one week, we've already reached the mountaintop that we were looking to climb. Well, maybe I need to move to Antigua is what you're telling me. <laughs> I just want to know which one of your relatives lives on the island. <laughs> well, I, I try to avoid as many of my relatives, but that's for, uh, for another story entirely. <laughs> Where is Antigua? I could not put that on a map. It's it's an island in the Caribbean, I believe. Okay. I mean, you could tell me anything and I would believe it. Yeah. Well, we're also number four in Moldova. So, um, <laughs> so we, we've oh, got the man. Eastern Bloc. We, so we're spreading out. We're, we're, Jerry's Mr. Worldwide. So, okay. So let's get to our first topic today. Obviously, before we get to any, any uh, talking about uh, the Bogdanovich situation, I wanted to first start with something a little bit more positive, and we're going to go through the draft. Uh, the draft was obviously Wednesday, and the Kings um, made a couple of moves there, moved up and down in the second round a little bit. But when everything shook out, they came away with uh, Tyrese Halliburton, a guard from Iowa State, Robert Woodard um, from Mississippi State, who is a, a forward, and Jemias Ramsey, a 6'4 point guard from Texas Tech. Uh, Jerry, before we get into specifics, what did you think of the draft on, on a Wednesday night? Well, I think uh, Kings fans got to be pretty excited. Uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton was a guy, you know, that certainly we discussed a little bit here uh, on the previous podcast. And I think the general feeling for most people was that he would be, a, you know, a top five to eight pick. Uh, and so the fact that uh, he was available when the Kings picked, uh, you know, certainly fortunate, but it's also true that uh, Monty McNair and his staff had to take him. But uh, I think that's such a positive. I really have very little knowledge of the second round guys. Uh, you know, the truth is they, they could both turn out to be outstanding or, or, or not make the team. Who knows? But I think with Halliburton, uh, very fortunate. You know, this is a guy who uh, should fit. I, I, what little I saw of him, and, and I, I know that other fans probably know more about him than I do, but it seems to me like he does have a game that will translate to the NBA. He's skilled, size for a position, uh, athletic, uh, you know, can be a combo guard 
So, so there should be minutes for him. And I think that's always important uh, for anybody you draft in the lottery. You'd like to be able to get them on the floor legitimately uh, as opposed to create minutes for him just because you drafted them. <laughs> and, I, and I think that that will be the case with him. It seems that, that he should be able to, to get on the floor based on ability. Let's, let's get into that a little bit then. Um, do you see, when you watch Tyrese Halliburton, do you see anyone, obviously there's been some player uh, comparisons to him. Was there anyone that you saw shades of when you watched what little highlights that you had? Yeah, uh, you know, you know, this is going to sound a little strange, but he reminds me, of course, I'm old enough to remember when Doug Christie was at Pepperdine. Uh, he reminds me of a lot of uh, Doug uh, coming out of college in, at the college game. I, I think that, you know, uh, probably he's a little more advanced skill set wise than Doug was just because he's younger. Uh, sure. But, uh, you know, has the length and size and athleticism. Now, I don't think he's quite as athletic as Doug was then. But I mean, he, he reminds me a lot of Doug. And I mean, uh, will he be, could he be better? Sure. Uh, will he, will he get there faster? You hope so. Because <laughs> it sure. took Doug a little while. Uh, but, but I mean, I think there's a, you know, there, it's a le legitimate comparison. I think legitimate comparison. And I don't, I mean, I think uh, there's reason to believe that, that he could be, have this, a, even a better career than Doug had. And when you look at Doug's best years, I mean, I think you could have to be very happy with that. And maybe what you're hoping for is that you can plug those good, good years in quicker, you know, sure. <laughs> Where Doug took a little while. To took a little forward. while. Took a few yeah. teams bouncing around, as a lot of guys do. Jerry, what did you make of his draft day slide? I don't know if you saw the reports um, that came out following the draft. Uh, and I know Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN was on a podcast with Zach Lowe, and they talked about how both of them separately heard that some combination of Halliburton and his team, along with the Kings front office, sort of orchestrated his slide to the Kings at 12. Maybe they were telling some teams that, that Halliburton thought that this was the best fit for him. He liked how he fit next to Fox. He liked the fact that he would come here and get minutes right away. And obviously for Kings fans, that's a, that's like breaking news to us. Cause we've heard the opposite many times where teams and agents are orchestrating their way away from the Kings. Um, does that make sense to you that that, that could happen here? And, or does it seem more like uh so kind of like a hindsight um, analysis where Halliburton falls to 12 and the, the best way to sell that is, Oh no, it was on purpose. Like he didn't really slide to 12, the Kings and, and Halliburton made that happen. Yeah. I don't buy that at all. Uh, I mean, in other words, you can't make me believe. And I, I mean, not that I think Halliburton's happy to be in Kings land. I, I, I believe he's sincere there, but had be, he been taken seventh. Do you think he, he and his agent wouldn't have been happy? or fourth to Chicago right. or something like that. I, so I, I think that's hindsight covering up. First of all, I don't know how you uh, convince people in front of you to not take somebody that they want to take. If you can, right. if you can do that, then those front offices are incompetent. Uh, that's all there is to it. And, and, you know, I know agents want to take credit for anything and everything. Uh, and they deserve very little credit from almost everything. <laughs> that's, so that's just my take on agent work. Yeah, I mean, that narrative certainly um, works in their favor. So it makes all the sense in the world that they would try and spin it that way. Jerry, as a general manager in either the WNBA or the NBA, did you ever have an agent come to you and say, don't draft my guy? And then 
were there times where you obliged that or didn't? Uh, I, I didn't, but I, I, I do know, remember Jeff Petrie getting that situation with Kobe Bryant, Arn Tellum uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, we had the 14th pick that year. And if, if Kobe's, if you draft him, he won't play for you. And uh, he'll go to Italy or somewhere because he obviously could speak many languages and was comfortable. And, uh, you know, basically they used that on, uh, on uh, New Jersey, who was eighth or ninth, I know, and they, and they chickened out and took Kerry Kittles. Good move, eh? And, uh, and, uh, but, but I, know, I know Jeff said, you know, and I've said this many times, you know, Jeff told him, he said, no, we're taking him if he's there. You know, and you can he can play in Italy for two years, but we'll have his draft right. So, so that's why that uh, the Lakers, because he wanted to go to the Lakers. You know, the old want to go to the Lakers crap, which is why <laughs> I hate him. But uh, <laughs> but the, but that's why the Lakers then traded Vlade Divac to Charlotte to get in front of us at thirteen. And wow. so, you know, I always say that was one of those drafts for the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth picks were the best picks in that draft that would for the most part or, or with the exception of one or two but but I mean that was Kobe at 13 and Paige at 14 and a guy named Steve Nash went 50. Tony talk to us for a second about um, um, we're going to get into the second round picks just a little bit here talk to us a little bit about what you see from uh, Robert Woodard uh, the second from Mississippi State. What I found interesting about uh, Woodard leading up to the draft is he is one of those guys, and a few a few guys get in this category every year as you lead up to the draft where there was almost no buzz around him until about three or four months prior to the draft, and all of a sudden you start hearing, this guy's a sleeper, watch out for Woodard. And after watching a bunch of film of him since the Kings drafted him, it's kind of easy to see why, because he is – well, first he's a grown man. Like he needs to do nothing in the weight room and nothing athletically to be able to play in the NBA immediately, which is obviously very appealing for a second round pick because you're kind of, I mean, no one expects much from a second round pick. So if you get a few baseline skills that you can bank on, that's, that's right away sort of worth it to me. And then uh, also his shooting percentages are very encouraging. 40% three point shooter, 50% from the field doesn't take a lot of shots. So if you want to sort of speculate a little bit, you can say it's pretty good shot selection. Doesn't really take too many bad shots. Uh, if your percentages are that high, it's a pretty good indication that you have a good uh, IQ, at least regarding, you know, what shots are good for you. Um, and the other thing with him is I think he's uh, not fake versatile. He's literally very much versatile in today's NBA. He's listed as a shooting guard on sports reference as a six, seven player. If you watched his introductory press conference, um, a few days ago, he talked about playing as, as down as very small ball center, but he seemed very comfortable playing uh, on the wing as a two, um, as a four. And with his body and athleticism, I don't see why he couldn't do that in certain situations. I mean, the NBA is insane now. You have PJ Tucker playing center for a top four Western Conference team. I wouldn't limit where Woodard can play. And uh, both his, his body and his athleticism um, leave me no reason to think he couldn't do it physically will he have the skills uh who knows maybe hopefully um but for a second round pick totally worth i think it was 50 uh 42 that they they selected him um 40 42 uh you know who knows but at least he has certain traits where you you look at him and say you know he could be something maybe he's not but he could i was talking to uh to jill adge um 
on um, the Hoopball podcast. In fact, you were you were with me, Tony, and we talked about there being a situation this year where you could use Woodard as that small ball five and run. You know, we've gone from regular ball to having small ball be the thing, but now there's even talk about having a micro ball lineup where you have that PJ Tucker at center, where you could run a lineup of Fox and somebody like uh, Halliburton and then Buddy at the three and then Harrison Barnes at the four and run a Woodard at, at, at five where he's six, seven, six, eight, two thirty-five, but he's also got a wingspan that I think is plus seven feet. So Jerry, is there a, is there a second round pick that you've had that, uh, that you, you just knew coming in, this guy's going to make it in the league. Was there somebody that, I mean, it doesn't have to be, let's not limit it to the second round, but lower tier, like Kevin Martin range and below that, that came into the league that you looked at and just went, Oh, this guy's going to make it. Well, yeah, it's a great, great question. You know, really weren't, weren't nearly as certain of Kevin Martin, to be honest with you, sure. you know, it's credit to him uh, right off. But I can think of a couple of guys, uh, uh, you know, Michael Smith, Michael, the animal Smith, uh, you just knew he'd find a way. He was like, we're talking about a full grown man yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, uh, fearless. And, and, uh, and a lot of guys in the NBA are fearful of guys <laughs> like that. So, uh, so him, uh, uh, Randy Brown, I, I thought would find a way to have a long career just because he was great on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and uh, Vinny Del Negro, sure. another one, you know, was so skilled, didn't make mistakes. And so, you know, you see those qualities kind of early and you say, well, th- th- this will work for them. You know, may not make them stars, but they'll find a way to have careers, long careers. And, and you know, and of course, I, you know, I was part of the, the front office when they drafted Isaiah Thomas. And, I, and there again, you know, I, I thought of, at the time, it's like, wow, wow he's way better than a 60th pick. Now I didn't know that he'd come to be almost an MVP, uh, but, but I mean, within the first couple of weeks of practice, you know, it's the, it, it was a good news, bad news things. You could see that, boy, he's really good. The bad news was he was better than Jimmer Fredette. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, I was going to say, it's a little bit like the old, Jerry West thing where one year he drafted George Lynch with the eighth pick in the lottery and the 37th pick was Nick Van Exel. And uh, people always, always talked about, boy, Jerry, he, he knew that uh, Nick was going to be great. I said, well, if he did, he'd take it. He made. When you, when you're in the second round like that, uh, is there, is there one particular skill that, that, that tends to make it more in the NBA? Is it somebody where you, if somebody has a defensive presence, that's where you go, Ooh, this guy's got a better chance than somebody that say is a, is a hot scorer or somebody that is a hustle player. I, I do think that's a great question. I, I think it comes down to kind of a skill that stands out. And, and I think uh, certainly a guy that you think, boy, this guy can really play defense. Well, in today's game, you know, there's usually a spot for a guy like that. Sure. And so you maybe has a chance to make a, a roster on that alone or, you know, the, the absolute best skill shooting the basketball. So if a guy's a big time shooter of a basketball, a, you know, a second round pick like a guy named Kyle Corver, uh, seems like it worked out for him. And, you know, he really isn't outstanding in any other phase, but that one phase has made him a lot of money. Sure. Now we've got one other guy that, that got drafted and he got drafted at, I think he was 45 and his name is a Jamias Ramsey. He's a six, four, um, point guard shooting guard from texas tech um i've got some stats pulled up here 
in 27 games, averaging 30 minutes. He scored 15 points, four rebounds. And as a point guard, he only averaged 2.2 assists. Uh, only shot uh, 44% from the field. Only shot 64% from the line. But he shot um, 42% from three. And uh, he seems to be one of those guys that's destined to be a microwave scorer in the league. He, he's not much of a passer as a point guard. And uh, he's not much of a, a defender that he's shown so far, but has the uh, physical tools to, uh, if, if he were to motivate himself, could be a, a, phys- a, a physical defensive presence in the league. Tony, what did you think of Jamias Ramsey when the Kings drafted him? I think Jamias is, is almost the opposite Woodard, but, and I don't mean that as a knock, whereas Woodard, uh, he even said it in his introductory pre- press conference where he mentioned how he doesn't need shots. I'll pick my spots. I'll go to the corner. I can space the floor. Whereas Jemias to me represents the opposite end of that, where he's very much a scorer. He wants the shots. He was uh, receiving some, some J.R. Smith comps. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't even mean that. Uh, I mean, some might take that as a knock, but I think, again, you're talking the end of the second round and you have this very aggressive guard, a very aggressive scoring guard. That's a fine player to take a shot on, in my opinion, as well. Jerry, did you have anything to add to that? Did you see anything about Jemias Ramsey? The only thing I, you know, I, I just watched them uh, tech uh, a couple of times because I really enjoyed their coach. You know, I think he's just an elite college coach and, and uh, how hard his teams play, you know, and I, so, you know, on that basis, do I remember uh, this player? Just, just a little. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a long shot. You know, I think, uh, you know, for every, can he make it? Sure. Uh, is he better than Kyle guy? I wouldn't think so, but that's, sure. you know, that, that, that's it in my, what little I know. When you, uh, when you get down right near the bottom where you're in those last five or six picks and things are kind of going, you know, it's, it's, I think of a, there was a basketball player like a Chuck Wiedeberry Madumbu where, you know, guys are kind of, it seems like throwing, throwing darts at a dartboard in the dark. Um, do you, do you try to get a guy that's, uh, skilled that you think, okay, this guy can come in and maybe he flourishes to be the 10th or 11th guy, or do you try to swing for the fences a little bit more when you're down in those last few picks where you're hoping for, you know, a Manu Ginobili type, maybe we can pull a rabbit out of the hat here and get a star with Jerry, with you, where, where would you have gone with a pick like that? I, I probably would have been a little more conservative in a sense that uh, late in the, in a second round, you're looking for somebody you hope can make your roster. You know, that, that can be an NBA player because if he can, then the pick you might can trade it becomes an asset, in other words. So, you know, to me, sure. you don't want to not saying you, you should love to get a star down there. But, uh, you know, the Manu Ginobili is uh, basically that just means a lot of people were ignorant, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and or Nikola Jokic. There's a bunch of guys that way. But at sure. the end there or like an Isaiah Thomas. I mean, you, you have to be lucky. Uh, so I think in general, you're looking for somebody, boy, if the, I think this guy has a chance to make our roster and, and, and really prove to be some value uh, to the franchise become an asset. Now, looking at the, the draft as a collective unit, you put on your prognosticators hat for a second here. And does, does the draft that Monty McNair and his staff had, does it, does it signal anything to you kind of in the macro does it signal where the kings are kind of headed and what direction that they might be by might be going towards away from where vladi divok picked last year well it's 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 hard to make a 
you know, a, a totally accurate assessment. But I mean, I, I think it really showed very professional. Sure. You know, I mean, it, it, certainly they couldn't have taken Halliburton if he wasn't there. Uh, but, you know, to me, taking him was, was that. And I mean, and certainly the other two picks, there's good reason to believe that there was some thought process and, and legitimacy attached to him. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if you're a Kings fan, you'd say, okay, uh, Monty McNair and his staff look like uh, they put in the time and were prepared for this thing. And, and that's, that's all you can ask. Tony, what did you think of it? I thought the, uh, I'm sure we'll transition to the Bogdanovich situation soon, but I thought his strategy there was, was maybe more telling uh, in a macro sense, like looking at the big picture situation in Sacramento. I think the return and the move that at least he was trying to do, obviously he's not doing it anymore. I thought that was a a better indicator of where uh, the organization was going. I mean, I don't think any of us, and it'd be hard to, to make a strong argument that the Kings are a playoff team next season based on the roster right now versus the rest of the Western conference. So you look at that Bogdanovich move uh, that certainly to me indicated something resembling a a miniature rebuild, or at the very least you're taking a established uh, player, honestly, maybe the second best player on your team and moving him for a younger prospect in Dante DiVincenzo, who has a lot of potential, but um, certainly isn't going to produce like Bogdanovich does in year one. Uh, Tony, was there anyone in the uh, uh, in the NBA that you felt like had the best? Who 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 do you feel was was the best out of the best in terms of their draft day? This is uh, an outside of the draft, sort of, but their moves um, involved the draft. I thought the Philadelphia 76ers and what Daryl Morey did—he was like a magician, honestly—to get out from the Horford contract, to get Tyrese Maxey, to sort of rebuild what was looking like a very dire situation in Philly, where they were paying too many guys too much money, and they were sort of stuck from a cap perspective. Um, and I think, you know, most people probably expected more to do pretty good in, uh, in Philly, but how he reshaped that roster and specifically just getting out from under the Al Horford contract um, as cheaply as he did. Cause I think, you know, most were expecting that you'd have to do a lot to move Horford at this point uh, and signing Dwight Howard, who I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Dwight Howard fan, but I think off the bench is a big behind Embiid makes a lot of sense. Uh, and again, I think Tyrese Maxey, we were talking about him uh, getting drafted as high as 12 to the Kings. So for the 76ers to get him later in the draft, um, I think they have uh, two really good defensive guards there in Maxey and Thibel that uh, not only are they the 76ers good today with Embiid and Simmons, um, but they have some some potential there too in the future. Jerry, what do you think? Was there a guy or was there a team or a general manager that stood out to you that had a good good night on Wednesday? Well, I certainly would agree with the, the Philly thing, and I'll add one more: getting Seth Curry. Right. I mean, yeah. a, a big time maker of shots. I mean, uh, you know, he proved he's proven at every step, uh, and I think with that team, he might even be better than he was with Dallas. So, you know, I mean, it's what they need. You know, they need guys that can open open it up for Embiid and Simmons a little bit. So, I thought that was another. Here again, Maury is outstanding. I, I'm not a big fan of his personally, but, but I, I think he, he's a terrific uh, general manager. I think, you know, you have to, to, to me, and it has very little to do with the draft, but, but the uh, Phoenix situation, getting Chris Paul, I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I just think that uh, boy uh, to get him, uh, that makes them a lot better if he stays healthy. I mean, just simply they've got some pieces to, 
you know, they're, they're trying to make the playoffs now and you'd think they maybe could. And then a couple others. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of Rubio going back to Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think that at least I believe that's where he's at now. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that, uh, again, you got some shooters there and scorers and, you know, Ricky is is a, I've never been a huge fan of his, but in my mind, he's been a better player the last couple of years and a real mm-hmm. valuable player just because he's good at what he does and he is a unselfish leader. So that, and then of course the ultimate is Sam Presti at Oklahoma city. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm not sure I agree with it, but the guy, I, I think time will tell. I, I think all the stuff he's doing is probably based you know, on just simply the franchise having money troubles, you know, I, I, cause I, I really was pretty much, you know, kind of critical of, of, of them last year because had they just kept Jeremy Grant along, along with the team that they did have, I thought, boy, they'd have been a serious contender in the West now. And they were very good anyway. Now, why did you break it all up? Well, he has broken it all up, and I think it's because of money. But the truth is, if you have to break it up because of money, you couldn't do it any better than what he's doing. So he's had an elite garage sale then. He's yes, a, an elite he's garage a, sale, and he's done it right. I mean, I don't think, you know, he's not one of these process guys that's it's looking at a five, six-year rebuild sure. through the draft. I guarantee you he's going to be going after uh, trades, and free agents with all those picks and things to rebuild quicker, cheaper. Yeah, I think that he he's done just a fantastic job of setting himself up to succeed with whatever opportunity comes. Yes. If he, and if he ends up wanting the first pick in the draft next year, <clears throat> excuse me, if he wants the first pick in the draft next year, well, how's four picks for you? You know, if, yeah. if, if there's somebody that his his staff has clued in on, on the, that's the guy that we want, he has enough picks for forever to be able to go out and get that. Yeah. You know, and the sign and trade opportunities are just, yes, you know, enormous with all those picks. Let's uh, let's talk, let's move a little bit over to the only cause we're kind of moving that way. Anyways, let's talk about uh, the uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich situation here a little bit. So, so it came out last week that there was a sign and trade in place with the Milwaukee bucks. Uh, the Kings would be receiving Dante DiVincenzo, uh, DJ Wilson, um, um, Ilya Sova, and then the Kings would be sending out um, Justin James and Bogdan Bogdanovich. Then things kind of wavered a little bit, and suddenly it was teams were complaining about tampering. Uh, then the Bucks cut Ilya Sova, which people started to think, okay, maybe this deal isn't getting done after all. And now a few days later, the Bucks have completely moved on from it. They've signed DJ Augustine to a big deal. They've signed Bobby Portis. Jerry, what do you think in, in this situation? What do you think happened? Give us, give us your, your, uh, your investigator's hat for a second. What, what happened in the situation? <laughs> you know, I, I, it had to, in my mind, had to be as simple as maybe Bogey uh, wasn't as, as happy with the deal as, as everybody else. And, and he's the one that has to be happy with the deal. Uh, you know, I thought under the circumstances when I heard it, it, it was okay. You know, I mean, I didn't think it's a home run for the Kings or a home run for the Bucks, to be honest with you. But, you know, I, I could live with either way. The, the the first impression is always who got the best player. Well, the Bucks would have had the best player. Now, to say that uh, I like Dante and I like Wilson, I think they're both, there's some real upside there. You know, Ilya Sova 
five years ago would have been nice, but that, that ship sailed. Uh, so I, yeah, what, you know, and, and to say, and you know, the rumors about tampering, I mean, do you mean to, to tell me that NBA teams would tamper? I'm, to, I'm flabbergasted here. I, my heart's starting to beat real fast. I, of course they tamper, <laughs> uh, but that was such an obvious case and, and that may have been part of it too. Talk to us a little bit about tampering, Jerry. I've, I've, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I've always been curious about what level of illegal activity are you performing on a, on a basis as a general manager? How, how much quote unquote tampering goes on in the NBA during the season, in the off season, uh, between the general manager and players that are soon to be free agents? Well, I'd say quite a bit, uh, okay. you know, I mean, just the way it is. And I mean, agents are always in the middle of all of it. And they're, they're always trying to find out better situations for their clients. And certainly teams have a reason to, <laughs> to be, uh, <laughs> is it, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I'd say every team does some of it. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, it's kind of like illegal recruiting in college. Do you think that happens? Duh. Of course it does. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so, so yeah, I in 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 for the most part, I, I'm not sure it hurts anything. Uh, to be honest with you, I certainly think free agency should c- come before the draft anyway. If I've got my binoculars on across the uh, arena and I'm looking at Jerry Reynolds tampering with another player, does that involve you talking to the guy on a sideline during a TV timeout, saying, "Hey, why don't you think about coming over here next year?" You know, I know you're going to be a free agent. Is that you talking to their agent? Is that a, a, a mix of things? How does that go? It's probably a mix of things, but I would say the least of it is uh, me talking to a player. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I think most guys got enough sense. They're not going to, you know, really say, hey, uh, Joe Fiduzel, uh, we really would love to have you here, you know, you know, uh, and so we'll, we'll try to get you that sort of thing. I don't think, you know, much of that would happen. I really believe guys are. So I think most of it goes through the agent to let, you know, oh, you're, you know, because a lot of agents say that you've got an, a, an agent that has one of your players already. Well, and he's also representing player B, who you'd like. Well, do you think it doesn't cross, come up? Boy, yeah, we're really happy with uh, our guy, you know, your guy here that we've got. Boy, that so-and-so, I think he'd be a nice fit. You think that happens? Of course it happens. Tony, what was your assessment of the situation with Bogdanovich? Man, what a weird, what a weird one. I, what was funny to me is that, uh, of course, the free agent deadline was supposed to start at 6 p.m. yesterday, and at about 5:30, there was more reports about Bogdanovich interest other teams. It's like, wait a minute, this isn't tampering too. Like, I know we're only a half an hour to the deadline, but other teams are allowed to tamper with Bogdanovich, but the Bucks and the and the Kings can't work something out. Um, so the, the hypocrisy there, uh, sort of like what Jerry was saying, is, I mean, it's unfortunate because. I do think Bogey would have been a, a nice fit for the Bucks, and and if we have to, uh, as a fan base, not watch Bogey anymore, having him on a contending team in the East with Giannis, who is another uh, awesome player to watch, that is, um, if we have to let let our guy go, that would be probably the the number one location where I, I would ask for him to to be. Uh, it seemed like a perfect fit for the Bucks. You could argue maybe the money was was too high for for Bogey's production. Um, but I thought the fit was, was awesome. I'm more curious, and Jerry, I, I'm interested to hear what you think happens now. I mean, we're still getting details about the Buck stuff, but 
I'm not sure it's very important anymore. I mean, we know it's not happening. Uh, but is the is the Bogdanovich situation beyond repair with the Kings? Do you think they're sort of backed into a corner now where they have to trade him? Or do you match any offer at this point? Like, let's say the Atlanta Hawks, which is the number one team rumored right now to be coming after him. The only team with really enough cap space to put the Kings in the uncomfortable position of having to match an offer, you know, 20 million or so that might be higher than, than McNair would be willing to match. Uh, where do you see this going from here? And, and would you match any offer for, for Bogdanovich or do you have a limit uh, yourself? Well, I think you always have to have a limit. I mean, if it's a, to match, if it, if it's to a contract that you think is, it would hinder the franchise going forward. I don't think at some point, you don't want to lose an asset for nothing. That's the worst thing that can happen, but you also don't want to keep an asset at maybe double the value because that's equally yeah. bad in, in many cases. And I think we've seen examples of that over the years to where you just by overpaying somebody dramatically, it has a multiplier on your whole franchise. Uh, I always said, you know, any contract you sign, you'd want to sign it knowing that you could trade it without having to take bad contracts back. And so I, I would use that as a guide. I, I, uh, I would certainly match, you know, just about any offer, but, but no, yeah. not any offer. I, I think there's a point where you'd, you'd have to walk away. Uh, and I think there's probably a lot of opportunities for the Kings to come out well on this because sign and trades can still be there, you know, with some teams, you might have to take, you might have to take something back. You don't quite want to get something of interest that could be used as an asset. And obviously drafting Halliburton gives you a little more flexibility. Uh, you, you know, the, the, at least you think that it does than, than before. So, but uh, I know myself, I, I like Bogey a lot. I, I think he is a fit, fit in player. Now he may see himself as more than that, but we said, if, if, you can have a team where Bogey's your sixth, seventh, eighth best player. You are good. You are really good. Now, the truth is that that hadn't been the case so far. <laughs> He's way better than that on the Kings. Tony, I think you're right in that point that I don't think there was a, a better place for Bogdanovich to land than the Bucks. I think that if you'd have pulled the Kings franchise fans, you'd ask them, where would you want Bogdanovich to go? I think if it can't be the Kings, the Bucks would be that perfect place for him with, with Drew Holiday and uh, being able to facilitate a little bit more and Bogey being able to, he's not going to get coverage like he was getting with the Kings on the Bucks, And so freeing him up with a little bit more space and allowing him to create would have been a fantastic opportunity. Now he's got, we're really down to a couple of teams where he can go to. We've got, I think we've got the Hawks where the Hawks just signed uh, Danilo Gallinari. So they've got about $25 million in change. And then they've got, we've got the Knicks who I didn't even bother to look up their cap situation because I know they've got room to sign them, but really, really nothing else around there that's, that's worth anything. Jerry, if you had to, uh, if you had to pick a spot for Bogdanovich, or if you had to pick a situation for the Kings to work this out, where do you think uh, Bogey goes and, and how do you think it plays out? Well, that's a great, great question. I, I'd just be a total guess. Obviously, the, the Hawks have room. They also have some things they could send back if you wanted to do it that way. I mean, Herter would be a nice pickup, you know, a nice young player with some upside, uh, probably not quite to the level of uh, bogey, for instance. Um, so I'm thinking there, you know, I know teams that if I were, say, running Dallas, I would be trying to get him some way. 
You know, I mean, and I think as you pointed out, rightly so, I thought the Bucks were probably the perfect spot for him because, you know, Bogey's a 37, 38% three-point shooter. I guarantee you he'll be over 40 uh, if he were with that team. Because, you know, as a, you know, basically he took some tough shots uh, off the dribble, three-pointers, much like uh, Buddy did. Of course, that seemed to be a a symptom of the whole bunch. But, but, I mean, you give him feet set time, uh, I think he's a knockdown shooter. Before this whole thing blew up, I had daydreams of Giannis running down, you know, dribbling the ball down the court and drawing the defense to him and then kicking it to Bogdanovich. In my mind, it was like, he's going to shoot 45% from the three-point line this year. He is going to be wide open on 80% of his shots. Nope. So I, I agree. Yeah, I, that's what <laughs> I would see. And, I, you know, certainly would have been an easy fit. And Holiday's a great guy to play with sure. as well. Jerry, we're always debating this uh, amongst ourselves. Um, the Bogdanovich versus Buddy Heald thing. It seems like both of them want to start and I know they're very good friends, but it seems like both of them kind of think and, and probably, you know, appropriately. So think that they should each have the the number one uh, spot at shooting guard is, do you have a preference there of who you would move forward with uh, whether you're the Kings or I guess any team, um, but we're always having that, that Bogdanovich uh, versus buddy debate. Well, here's my take on it. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me and uh, but uh, I think that Bogey's the better player. Having said that, I would ha- have Buddy as a starter. Yeah. Buddy Heald is a shot maker. And if, if De'Aaron Fox is who he's supposed to be, that is, that's your guard line. And, and get him off the ball, get him coming to the ball, get him to be Clay Thompson Jr., and let him take and make shots. And Bogey is, uh, can fill in. I mean, he, you bring in a guy like Bogey, he makes you better. Uh, he can play some small forward behind Buddy, behind Fox even. So uh, I just think he's, you know, and I know Bogey might not agree. And I would, as a coach or something, I'd say, I, I don't care. This is this is how you you make us more valuable. And certainly you're not the, you won't be the best player that ever came off the bench. There have been Hall of Famers way better than you that came off the bench. So uh, that's the deal. Uh, get with it. But that's, I mean, and I know, I know he played better than, than Buddy last year, but I, 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 I there's a lot of other factors. I, I'm a, for all of uh, Buddy's issues and, you know, talks when he should listen and, uh, and, and basically uh, should focus on what he's good at. But the guy is a big time maker of shots. It, and if you can get him, get him good shots and make him understand that he's supposed to take good shots. Uh, I I think the Kings would be a lot better going that route. Yeah. And I I think uh, his numbers last year are a little misleading because his shooting percentages uh, took a tank during those games when De'Aaron Fox is out of the lineup and the Kings were basically running ISO buddy, forcing him to do uh, more off the dribble than he probably should. Once Fox came back and and buddy started getting those minutes with a, with a real uh, above average NBA point guard, he shot the ball basically that same over 40% that he shot the year before that the Kings paid him $20 million for. So I do think there is a certain element where if the Kings moved on from buddy healed now, they're probably not getting an appropriate, appropriate return versus how good he actually is because the, the narrative around his season last year was that it, that it wasn't, wasn't up to par versus the season that got him paid when the reality is some of that was due to 
Fox being out of the lineup and Buddy forced into a position where he had to do too much. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, to me, Buddy's uh, a little bit of the my old thing about Mitch Richmond, who obviously one of the greatest players to to uh, play with the Kings. But you know, Mitch, if you had him running the offense, it wasn't going to be good. You know, I mean, I always say Mitch, like Buddy, I mean, after three dribbles, not much good happens. With, right. Uh, and, uh, but it, it, it certainly in Mitch's case, I mean, with two dribbles, nothing but good stuff would happen. If you give him a live dribble in scoring range, uh, un, almost unguardable. And, and, and I think Buddy has a lot of that same thing. I mean, a couple of bounces can get him to the basket or free up uh, and make plays. But that third dribble, a lot of stuff starts happen that aren't good. <laughs> Jerry, talk for a second about, uh, Tony brought up a good point here in, in terms of Buddy's value. Uh, if I were a general manager, some of, some of my evaluation of Buddy would, would, be, would be easily assuaged by, well, that's the Kings. You know, Buddy had an off year this year. Well, th- that's also the Kings. The Kings, you know, hired a coach that obviously didn't fit Buddy's style right away. Luke Walton was making him do some things that he didn't want to do in his percentages tank. How much did you as a general manager looking to trade for a player or sign a player attribute sometimes had Buddy been playing with Dave Yeager, I don't think Buddy's value would have, would have changed much. I think he had still been, I mean, he still was the second. I mean, he made more three pointers than everyone, but one player last year. So how much, how much does a general manager look at the team and the other management and coach and go, that player is still good. It's more the, the coaching that, that ruined him last year. I think uh, teams always look at that way. They always kind of look where they want to believe, boy, if we had him, uh, we would, we would save him. We would do better with him. Now we know that that doesn't always happen. I mean, some guys are, are unsalvageable right. <laughs> and there's a, there's a reason, but, but I, I do think, yeah, that you look into the whole thing there. And, and I think it, the reason buddy got the contract he did was because of the way he played that year. And I'll tell you probably around the league, there wasn't anybody said that's a bad contract. Sure. You know, I mean, everybody looked at, okay, that, that makes sense for that quality of shooter at, uh, off the year he had over the last couple of years. So, so I say that now, after last year, all of a sudden, some of the same stuff changes. It's, well, he's not worth that money. Well, my contention is he is. Sure. He, he didn't play that way. i give him that. I'll give you that. He did not play to his his ability. But I, I think certainly some of it was Buddy's fault. I think Coach Walton has to take some of the blame there as well. Sure. And, and you know, and, and I don't attach anything too much to guys uh, – be unhappy or this or that. Now, I, I think that they need to, you know, and, and be told to, okay, you know, pout like a child in the locker room or on your drive home. And if you want to whimper to somebody, but overall the fans don't need to hear your stuff. We know you, I mean, reality is we know you're all individual contractors. We get that. Yeah. But, uh, but you, you, even though you are, you still are got to be teammates first. Sure. So, so, I, I mean, Buddy's little, I always say, I mean, I tried to tell a couple of people that were new, Buddy, I said, you know, just remind him he can have unspoken thoughts. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. totally okay. And you should text his coach back, Buddy, if you're listening. <laughs> I, uh, I, and you brought up a good point, too, that, you know, 
Um, his contract doesn't look all that bad in comparison to the first 24 hours of what's being handed out so far this year, too. I mean, I looked at, I mean, I like Davis Bertans a lot, but Davis Bertans got $80 million. And so now Buddy for, for 90 or whatever his incentives end up being, that's not a bad deal. That look, he might have had a bad season, but his contract looks better every hour that passes with these right free agent signings. Well, it sure does. I, I, I was going to mention it. You know, I, I was just reading some stuff today and I was thinking, you know, I like Bertans. You know, I mean, the guy can really shoot. But he, to me, he is not as good as, as Belicia. He is not as good a basketball player. You know, I mean, he can shoot it better, but, but not, you know, I mean, it ain't like uh, Nemanjic can't shoot because he can. He, you know, I just think Nemanjic is one of the most underrated players that the Kings have ever had, you know, and almost a Hito Turkaluk thing, you know, to where he's just really, really a good basketball player, you know, uh, and good's the word, not great, but, but I, I mean, but you're right. I mean, 80 million, well, they probably had to pay him that to keep him. We know how that works. Would you rather have Gordon Hayward for $30 million a year for four years, or would you rather have Buddy Heald at his price? I'd rather have Buddy Heald. Uh, I would. And, and I know Gordon, 100% healthy. Uh, two or three years ago, I'd made that, I'd, I'd chosen differently. But there's a, there's some, a lot of wear on those tires. And, and, and Buddy has basically been a healthy guy. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I, I think to, for the, for the price and, you know, and, and Hayward young enough, he might get back to being Gordon Hayward again. And he was, you know, he was good last year with the Celtics, but not $34 million good. Let's uh let's move to a, a one last Kings Kings bit here. Uh, last night it was reported by Carmichael Dave and then by Wojnowski and some others that Harry Giles will not be, uh, will not be seeing the floor for the Kings again. Jerry, what are your thoughts on Harry Giles moving on from the uh, from the Kings franchise? Well, it's, it's I'm unhappy about it just because I think Harry's such a nice young man, number one, and his basketball game each year he's gotten better. Uh, he has a special skill, which I think translates to some role of called passing the basketball. Uh, very skillful for a big man, you know, and, and he can do that and willingly will do that got a little toughness I always say he's got a little shit bird in him you know, on a team that needs more of that you know we've got too many sweetie pies and not enough shit birds but uh but I, I think that uh you know he you know I I think when they you know obviously at at the price I think there'll be teams that'll certainly be willing to because I've had you know people call me just around around because they know I'll tell them the truth and give my thoughts you know I'd do that to anybody uh I said that, you know, the guy belongs in the league and, and the best is ahead if he can stay healthy and a quality guy. And he's got a skill that translates to, to playing in the NBA of A, and that's passing the basketball. What do you think, Jerry, about we'll, – we'll, we'll dial it back just a little bit here and think about um, Vladi Divac when the time came to, um, to um, grab that, that qualifying offer or not. And he decided to turn it down as a way of apparently the, the discussion there was that they were trying to motivate um, Harry into getting into better shape or punish him a little bit for not coming to, to camp on, on, on time or in shape or something like that. Um, redoing that decision, 
Is that something that you would do? Would you have picked him up right away and then handled that differently? Or what, what was the thinking behind that in, in your, in, in your mind? Well, I, I do think Vladi made a mistake there. I, I mean, I love Vladi uh, as a person, but I think that was a mistake. I mean, you've invested all the, the draft, the year of development. You, you know, you've really invested yourself in this young man and, and you can see that he could play. Now you can be disappointed and I think rightfully so, if, if they thought so, I, I'll take, you know, take their word. But I, I think it's the old, uh, don't cut off your nose to spite your face, you know, kind of thing. It's like, right. well, uh, you don't, you still don't want to lose him. You can do other things to punish him. You, I don't know. You can make him wear ugly shirts or something. I don't know. What you, <laughs> but, but I mean, good gracious. Uh, you know, it's like the old, I always remember Dean Smith telling me one time years ago when he had Michael Jordan and he had very strict rules about being on the bus and all this and all that, you know, and, and uh, if you're not on the bus, you don't get a play or, or something. And mm -hmm. he, the bus was time for the bus to leave and he hadn't seen Michael. And so he said, Oh Lord, what have I done? <laughs> you know, we're big game and, and one of my stupid rules and we're gonna, we're not gonna have Michael. And the bus pulled away and, and he looked back and Michael had been sleeping in the back. He'd already been on. He said, he said that was a, a kind of a wake up call to him to kind of make, give a little leeway uh, in his rule rules. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I think that there's a great point in that, you know, it's like, who, who are you punishing? And, uh, it seems to me that the Kings punished themselves on this one. Sure. Tony, what was your assessment of the situation? I just thought the Kings bailed on the project too early. And I don't think Harry Giles was amazing. I thought he showed some flashes, but he, he couldn't get out of his own way at times, whether it was foul trouble or untimely injuries. And, and he didn't, I don't think he ever strung together enough consistent play where he, he made himself clearly better than the players above him, like a Bielitsa or a Harrison Barnes, if he was moving down to the four or Rashawn Holmes. I thought he, he, so there were some factors, you know, that resulted in, in this not being uh, like a catastrophic error. Like, I, I don't know that uh, the Kings will ever pay for this. There was, but there was enough there, I think, to see the project to its completion again, considering how much time and investment they did put into Giles and he's only 22 years old. You look at the Kings uh, consistently a franchise that has a, a difficult time acquiring talent. And you have a guy you've seen for three years, 22, a lot of toughness, great court vision um, with some foul trouble issues and other things. But to me, just they, they bailed on the Harry Giles project too soon. And he's another guy like bogey who was really uh sort of a, a model king here and wherever he ends up next, I know uh, I'll speak for the fan base to some degree. Um, everyone's going to be rooting for him because he, there was a real connection there too, which is obviously a factor, you know, a lot of guys come and go and, and the impact on the fan base isn't, isn't much, but Harry Giles was a guy who had, I, I mean, our own Richard Ivanowski, he wore a Harry Giles Jersey to his wedding and Giles was engaging with it. He got on the news like we, so there's a, there's a real connection there. And, and so it, from that standpoint, to see the Kings uh, kind of get in their own way and just say, like, nah, like, we'll, we'll pass on this. Um, that part, that's the part that sucks. I was actually on a live stream with Richard Ivanowski when the news came across that Harry Giles was moving on from the Kings franchise. And uh, he had to uh, turn off the lights in his house and, and he lit <laughs> one candle and was playing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Uh, just, just Perfect. at the, just at the side of it was hard for him to continue that podcast 
because uh, because of how distraught he was. So I, I I think that he was absolutely worth the investment. Now we I don't know what he's going to sign for, but he's not signing for ten million a year. You know, if he signs for right. four or five or six, he was worth signing that just on the potential that he showed alone. It wasn't a contract that you wouldn't be able to get out from. Yeah, just he, he was an asset, you know, maybe a, a limited one. But like you said, I mean, the contract you'd have to sign him to, I mean, you you know, you could trade it or 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 use it to as part of another deal. I, I, well, anyway. I'm, I'm looking here just just at the news because the Hornets uh, are waving Nick Batum to make the cap space for Gordon Hayward. Well, Batum is making twenty seven million dollars this year and they just waved him outright if harry giles goes completely into the mountainside and can't play anymore you're cutting five million dollars at most you know the worst case scenario is that you're getting rid of you know five six million dollars in space if if you can do 27 million dollars at the blink of an eye you can you can take a risk on four or five. Oh, absolutely uh, yeah i think it's just ridiculous uh in my mind i mean you know, will it, would he ever be a key part, uh, a top six, seven guy on a 50 plus win team? But you can't say that at all accurately, but, uh, but you can't say he couldn't be either right. yet. That's why, that's why you, you know, I think you should, uh, whoever gets him uh, at the right price, will get to find that out. It also surprises me a little bit from the, uh, the cost to get him too. the Kings moved away from the 10 uh, from the uh, 10 pick in the draft that they could have drafted a Donovan Mitchell type to acquire Justin Jackson, who they traded away for Harrison Barnes and, and Harry Giles, who they spent an entire year developing and rehabbing just to make sure he was available to see, you know, to kick the tires on a project that could pay off dividends. So the fact that Vladi, I mean, we're, this is now a year plus since this happened, but that he, he just couldn't, he just couldn't get out of his own way for a moment to see that it's disappointing, but I, I wish Harry Giles the best. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a good, exciting bench player for somebody, somebody smart who, who picks him up. Well, I think any team that, that has really good wings and, and, and scores, uh, you know, I, I think he, because like say his main skill, I think is finding shooters. He's willing to do that. So, uh, I mean, whether it's the Clippers or the or Portland Trailblazers or, you know, I mean, you could name a number of teams where he could probably have, a, a, could have a role because he wouldn't have to be expected to score a lot. And, and, you know, and if he could, you know, fit in, uh, you know, fit in with, star type guys tony is there anybody that you think would use a harry giles well i got a, a local one for myself um i think he'd be a great fit on the boston celtics they just traded ennis Cantor. they only have one traditional center in daniel tice he's very good friends with jason tatum from the from the duke days uh I, i'm not going to tell you the celtics are like the the greatest developmental organization of all time and danny ainge is certainly like a ruthless trader like he'll cut you uh <laughs> in a minute um if something goes wrong but I do think there are some factors in Boston where I, I know the fan base would love him here. I, they love the toughness. He's got a little bit of a KG uh, attitude in him. Uh, the connection with Tatum is, is something something minor. And I also think there's actually like a, a role for him in Boston, unless they sign some other center or big. But they're a team that is a little bit deficient inside anyways. And, and I think Giles would, would fit the vibe of that team pretty well. We were talking in uh, uh, amongst ourselves at the Kings Herald about possibly uh, me and Richard, especially about him going to a team like 
the Oklahoma City Thunder, where they are so young and they're they're just kind of treading water right now with their with their young guys waiting for bigger moves to be made that Harry would be able to have a chance to he wouldn't be on a veteran laden team where he's not expected to do much. But the opposite of that is he'd be going to a team where he could play anywhere from, you know, 25 to 35 minutes a night just because they need warm bodies on the floor. And they're big guys. You're looking at a guy like they just traded. Um, they just uh, traded Stephen Adams. Yes. And so you could have a lineup of uh, Alexei Pokushevsky, who is the, uh, yeah, yeah, the the stick bug from Serbia and and Harry Giles, where they'd be the thinnest front court or the, yeah, the thinnest front court in the NBA, but they'd be a good mix of skill and being able to show out a little bit for Harry in order to get a bigger contract down the road a little bit. Tony, let's go to our uh, Patreon question of the day. Um, and Jerry, we're going to have you answer one question from one of our, our, uh, one of our Patreons, one of our patrons. Okay. And, uh, and we'll get your opinion on whatever, uh, whatever they ask you. All right, Jerry, I will uh, preface the question by saying we did suggest um, users send in whatever they wanted. Might be some weird questions. Uh, this one comes from a longtime commenter, uh, who go, I'm not going to put his real name out there, but he goes under the name Rick Smits. And his question is, is very appropriate. Uh, it's very simple. Jerry, do you happen to have a Rick Smits story? Any interactions with Rick Smits? A Rick Smits thought? Anything on Rick Smits? This is a guy's a big Rick Smits fan. <laughs> I, I do have a Rick Smits story, oh, great, by the great. way. I just, I'm glad he asked that because I, I remember, you know, coaching against Rick Smits and, uh, and, and I always remember the time we were playing the Pacers and, and my center was a guy named Randy Allen. He was six foot eight and 220 pounds. We'd got him out of the D league or CBA at that time. And uh, just because we had injuries and we weren't any good. And, and I always remember Randy was guarding Rick Schmitz, who's seven, four as, as, the, as we all know, and legitimately seven, four not like Ralph Sampson, 7'4", who was 7'2". But uh, so he was supposedly guarding Rick Schmitz. And all of a sudden I was, uh, the Pacers were all the other end of the floor and going, getting in their half court set. And I was turning my assistant coach. I had one in those days, <laughs> <laughs> one, which, uh, uh, so at least I knew who I was talking to. Uh, so <laughs> I said, you know, I said, Schmitz is open for God's sakes, you know, Nobody's guarding him. And all of a sudden, I saw two little arms sticking out about waist high behind him. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I swear to God, I said, I, I said that, and then all of a sudden, I saw Randy Allen's little head peeping out there. And I said, holy shit, we ain't got a chance here. But uh, so anyway, but that was that was a true story. You know, it's one of those where your heart goes pitter pat and you think, my God, there's nobody on him. And then those little arms like his little Buddha thing or something sticking out there below his waist. Almost makes you feel worse. So that's my Rick Smith story. So that's all I got. Perfect. That's great. Jerry, let's uh, then let's go into uh, the, the Jerry Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what's your uh, your final thoughts for today? Well, I, I think that I talk about the draft a little bit, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I thought they, they did a nice job under the circumstances of putting on the show. You know, I, I, I thought that, and, and, you know, people always, I always get a kick out of fans and reading what people say and different things and, and always, uh, uh, you know, so sure about this player or that player. I know he'll be this. I know he'll be that. Here's what I know is I don't know. 
And I know for certain, you don't know, you know, that's the way the draft is mm-hmm. that, that the only thing we kind of know for sure is that somebody taking 20 will be better than somebody taking nine that's, or, or thereabouts. There'll be somebody in the second round. That's, that's way better than somebody in the first round, but that's what makes it so much fun. And, uh, you know, I think certainly it should be a lot of fun for the Kings, but anyway, that's just watching the draft. I know I've watched a zillion of them and, and so, sh- and at some point I've always been so sure about certain guys just like everybody and, and nope, didn't work, you know, didn't work. And then some other guy, you think, well, I don't believe that guy will make it. And, and, you know, he's a big deal. So just take it for what it is. It's a draft. It's exciting. Tyrese Halliburton's going to be a hall of famer first ballot. No <laughs> doubt about it. Let's go with that for right now. <laughs> Works for me. Works for me too. Well, for everybody, uh, for everybody at the Kings Herald and for Tony and Jerry, I want to thank you guys for listening to our, to our second episode here. Uh, tune in in two weeks when, uh, when we're in for our third, um, please uh, like rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, we'll see you next time. Oh, Thanks everybody. By the Brock Ness monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Jim Bob Foley. Holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King Harold Barbershop.